You need a prescriber to get a moral law because a moral law is prescriptive as well. And so this is a very strong argument. Uh, uh, what most atheists do well, when they debate me on this issue, they don't even touch it. They just, they just dance around. And then they're always saying, you know, there's no such thing as wrong. Therefore, Fernandez is wrong to preach his views to others. And by the way, the God of the Bible did so much evil. I mean, it's like, you know, they, they say there's no such thing as right and wrong. There's no such thing as evil. Then they're condemning every other thing God did in the Bible as evil. Okay? Maybe we don't have all the answers to the problem of evil because we're not God. God's infinitely wise. Okay? We don't have all the answers to the problem of evil, but at least we can call evil, evil. You know, the human, evil and human suffering, if, if Adam and Eve didn't fall in the garden, little babies wouldn't die. Okay? So I'm not saying a little baby did the evil that brought it on or the person uh, that is in a wheelchair brought it on themselves. What I am saying is, if evil did not enter the human race, if this was not a cursed creation, it wouldn't have come about. But maybe we don't have all the answers, okay? But at least we can look at a guy on his deathbed and call evil evil and weep for, for him and have it make sense. If atheism is true, the guy is nothing but uh, a clumping together of molecules, okay? And if one atheist went so far to openly admit, I can't recall his name, that when uh, a person dies, the atheist should just take him and take his body if they were consistent with their worldview. And this is an atheist saying it. Should just take the body and throw it in the nearest dumpster. Yet he admitted, I can't bring myself to doing that. So he do a big funeral ceremony and, you know, again, what's he doing? He's living on borrowed capital from the Christian worldview. Um, so this uncaused cause of the universe is a moral being. Okay. Uh, the teleological argument is the argument from design. The design and order in the universe show uh, that the universe needs an intelligent designer. Okay? Um, let me say this about the design argument. You could look small or you could look big. If you're looking for God, you're going to see his face. Okay? Um, astronomers like you, Ross have shown that it's called the anthropic principle. Um, factors, things that are going on, the opposite end of the universe, the far reaches of the universe, if they were just a fraction different, there would be no life on the planet Earth. New Ross points to, I believe, uh, 25 to 30 different parameters that had to be uh, fine-tuned in order for human life to be possible. And he's quoting from atheists when he gets this data, okay? Um, but also in, in the Earth's solar system, there's another 25 to 30 parameters. Uh, that if one thing would just change just a little bit different, um, there would be no chance of life on the planet Earth, okay? Um, an example would be the sun. If it was a little bit closer to the Earth, we'd all fly. A little bit further from the earth, we'd all freeze to death, okay? That's uh, probably the most simplistic uh, of these parameters. But, uh, you know, uh, we, you know we, we feel like we're in control of our own lives. But do you get a phone call every morning and say, okay, friends, how much oxygen do you want in the earth's atmosphere today? No, I have no say over that whatsoever. It's just a given, Okay. Now, this is called the anthropic principle. It seems that the whole universe was designed for the purpose of sustaining life on this little dot called the planet Earth, human life, okay? 
to escape it, what a lot of scientists are saying, maybe there's uh, an infinite number of other universes, parallel universes, uh, that exist, and this just happens to be the one where all this criteria is met. Well, that's not a scientific statement. Reason being is because you can't jump out of one universe into a, another universe and observe it. So in other words, there's absolutely no evidence for this infinite number of universes, no evidence whatsoever, whereas there is good evidence from design for the existence of the God of the Bible. By the way, uh, most of these scientists that try to argue for multiple universes even if you granted their premise, which I, I don't think there's any reason scientific or philosophical to grant their premise, but even if you granted it, you would still need a cause for the, the splintering or, or the, the splitting of universes. And uh, basically, you'd be right back to looking uh, for its cause. It would just be postponing the answer. But you could look big at the design in the universe and find God's existence, but you could also look small. You could look at a single-celled animal. There's enough genetic information in a single-celled animal to fill an entire library uh, worth of filled with uh, information. Okay, uh, the DNA alone. There's enough for uh, enough highly complex information uh, uh, to fill one volume of an encyclopedia. Now, there's a uh, major problem with that because you know how many explosions do you think it would take before uh, random explosions in a print shop before totally by accident uh, a Webster's dictionary would be produced okay it, it's not going to happen it takes intelligent intervention to produce Webster's dictionaries okay um, and so just even a single celled animal by the time you get to the human brain you're talking something like 20 million volumes worth of, of uh, information. Um, and by the way, uh, non-Christian scholars like Yaki, who are experts in this field, have argued that the, the DNA, the genetic code, is not similar to human language or similar to a language. It is a language of its own. Everything that we have, so he's saying it's not an argument from similarity or an analogy. It is a language. It is a kind of directions for this and for that. Um, Michael Behe um, is now arguing that when you get to the molecular level, you know, Darwin argued that on the cellular level, he argued that we, we look complex because we've got these you know, trillions of cells thrown together. Okay, that's what Charles Darwin argued. But he said that's not really the way it is. Uh, the cells are very simple. Okay? Uh, it's just that when you throw a lot of them together, it makes us look complex. Well, now we have stronger microscopes. We're able to look deeper. And uh, uh, microbiologists and biochemists now know that the smallest units of life, the cells, uh, the molecular level, when you get down to the molecular level, you, you have a tremendous complexity that is there already in place. Behe argues that the complexity is as complex as a computer or a spaceship. So you get to the simplest forms uh, of life 
and you still have this tremendous complexity. The Behi argues they're irreducibly complex. Uh, an example that he gives for irreducible complexity is a mouse trap. It has the smallest number of parts that it needs. If you remove one part from a mouse trap, it doesn't catch mice. Okay? Um, and that's the way it is here. If you had something less complex on the molecular level, it would not evolve into what it is today because it would, not, it would, it would cease to exist. It would not be able to exist. Well, you can see examples for this even of irreducible complexity in even higher levels. For instance, if fish evolved into uh, uh, amphibians and eventually land animals, um, how do you go from uh, gills, breathing apparatus called gills, to lungs? I mean, whatever the transitional form in between is, I can tell you this, it's not going to be able to breathe un in the water or outside the water. So how can it go on to exist to evolve into something else? It's the same with the uh, reptiles are supposed to have evolved um, uh, into uh, birds. But you've got a totally different design for the lungs of, of reptiles and the lungs of birds. So whatever was the intermediary form, the missing link between them wouldn't be able to breathe. The lungs don't work unless they're fully developed. Okay? Gills don't work unless they're fully developed. You can't have something evolve into a gill. I mean, it's not going it, to... The thing won't be able to breathe the millions of years it's supposed to be taking for it to evolve into it. See, as Dwayne Gish has pointed out, evolutionists, they love these millions and billions of years. They've got to have it, okay, for uh, evolution just to seem plausible. He said, you know, when, when we say that uh, a frog turns into a prince instantaneously, we all laugh and say, well, that's a fairy tale. But then if somebody said, well, it took a few billion years for the frog to change into a prince, then we say, oh, that's good, solid science. Okay? You know, what's wrong with this picture? Um, but whatever the case, by the way, as you go forward in time, the second law of thermodynamics becomes a bigger and bigger and bigger factor. So... Um, you would basically have uh, disorder, more and more disorder coming into the picture, not more and more order. The way Norman Geisler explains it was if, if you dropped confetti out of uh, uh, a helicopter that was hovering 20 feet over the ground, it would be very unlikely for it to spell out help, okay? But if you say, well, all we need is more time and it'll happen. So you go up 200 feet and drop the confetti. Now you've got even less chance of it spelling out help. Okay? So the more time you get, it just creates more problems anyway. Uh, it, this is just man trying to run uh, from God. Okay, um, uh, but, but basically, the strongest teleological argument that uh, I have ever known is, is my, my grandson Nathan. Uh, just moments after he was born, he was placed into my arms, and I was already a Christian, okay? But if I was the biggest blasphemer of God on the planet Earth, I would have dropped to my knees and worshipped God right then and there. Because there's no way that that beautiful little baby got here accidentally from primordial soup. It's not a clumping together of mere molecules of motion, Okay? And, and, you know, you might say, well, yeah, that argument, Fernandez, that argument works with Christians. It doesn't work with atheists. Oh, yeah, what about Whitaker Chambers? It's on the congressional record. He was one of the leader, leaders in the Communist Party in America.
okay, in the 1920s and 1930s. Um, one day he was looking at his daughter. She was either four or seven years old, and she had some dirt in her ear or something, so he started wiping off, and he looked at her ear, and all of a sudden it dawned on him the tremendous design and complexity and order that he found in her ear, and immediately he came to the conclusion that God exists. Then he stood up and he thought for a minute, you know what, if God exists, my atheistic communism makes no sense at all. It's wrong, it's evil. And then it took him two years to get the courage to get out of the Communist Party. He was a buddy of Alger Hiss, and he tried to get uh, Alger Hiss to leave the Communist Party, which he did not. It's all on the congressional record, so I can show you at least one case where it did work. Um, that argument did work on an atheist. Uh, argument from religious experience, all men sense the need for God. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this uh, other than to say that uh, if you read atheist writings long enough, you will find that in one way or another they mention some thirst for something more. You know, Mike Tyson thought, Greatest thing would be if I could win the heavyweight championship of the world. Well, he won it and found out it wasn't all it was perked up to be, and so then he started uh, spending nights in, in prisons and jails. Um, we sense a need for something more. In fact, Blaise Pascal, a great Christian thinker that he was, said basically the only good thing in this life, and he was you know, using conscious exaggeration there as a figure of speech, but the only good thing in this life is the hope of a hereafter, a hope of another life. Okay, atheists always talk about the problem of evil, but they act like all we got is this life right here. Now, God's got all eternity to right the wrongs that were done in this life. Um, but all men do have a thirst for God that only God can quench, and that's why the Lord Jesus said, "I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst." Uh, the absurdity of life without God. Um, if God does not exist then life is without meaning, morality is not ultimately real, there's no life after death, no punishments and rewards, no ultimate defeat of evil. You realize if there's no God and no life after death, then there would be no, absolutely no difference um, between uh, the eternal state of a Christian missionary and um, Adolf Hitler. There'd be no difference between the lives, uh, the, the uh, final states of the Apostle Paul and Adolf Hitler. Okay? Um, you know, they would both have ceased to exist. Eventually, everybody they've ever influenced, for good or for bad, will have ceased to exist. And um, so whether you spent your life torturing people or helping people, it would be irrelevant. Uh, we all end up in uh, total nothingness. Let me read a quote from the the greatest atheist of our century, Bertrand Russell. Russell once wrote this on a, one of his more honest moments, that man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That is growth. That is origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his love and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris 
of a universe in ruins. Then uh, Russell went on to encourage his followers to build their philosophy of life upon this, and I quote, firm foundation of unyielding despair. My question is, why? Why even get out of bed in the morning? Okay, the way um, the Apostle Paul put it, and he's quoting an ancient Greek poet, he said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And that's the name of that to an age. They said, well, there could be meaning with a small M. If there's no meaning with a big M, no eternal meaning, okay? I mean, what, what if I walked up to you and said, sir, I'm going to guarantee you 70 years of happiness. You're going to accomplish everything you set out to accomplish and live a great life for 70 years. However, then you're going to die and cease to exist for all eternity. I mean, why work so hard to achieve all your goals? You know, why, why just pick up a bottle of rubbing alcohol and go to an alleyway in Seattle and just, you know, what's the difference between drinking yourself to death or working real hard and, and building up, building this stuff, building your little kingdom or whatever it is you feel like doing and then all of a sudden dying and ceasing to exist for eternity. See, Solomon put it this way, God has put eternity in our hearts. He didn't put eternity in my dog's heart, okay? But God put eternity in my heart and in the hearts of human beings. And so we do think about eternal issues. If we didn't, we wouldn't be debating God's existence. And because we think about eternal things, the only way we can be happy is if we can have the hope of eternal happiness. Okay? The only way we can feel significant is if we have the hope of eternal significance. And the atheists can argue with that all they want, um, but uh, I think the Lord Jesus was right that we need to build our treasures in, in heaven not treasures on earth, you know, if, if all your meaning, if the meaning of life to you is, is the Corvette that you drive, um, you know, my prayers are with you. Um, but whatever the case, uh, the absurdity of life without God, uh, the existence of eternal, unchanging ideas, this was Augustine's argument, um, there are eternal, unchanging ideas, such as one plus one equals two. There was never a time, and there will never be a time, when one plus one will equal three or anything else but two. So there are eternal, unchanging truths. And uh, these are changing, fallible minds could not have caused these eternal, unchanging truths because these eternal, unchanging truths stand in judgment of our fallible, changing minds when we make a mistake. When we add one plus one and we come up with three, we say, oh, wait a minute, it equals two. And that law comes into play. So Augustine argued that uh, there must be an eternal, unchanging mind. Okay? In other, in other words, uh, there are some things that God, by nature, He produces throughout all eternity so that they're, they're as eternal as He is. Since God is eternally wise, the laws of logic just eternally and naturally flow from Him. Okay? Uh, on the other hand, the physical creation, that was something he freely chose to actualize and to bring into existence. Okay, um, now based upon these, what I do in my cumulative case for God is I treat Christian theism, the belief in a personal God, the personal God of the Bible, I treat it as a, a hypothesis. And I argue that it's more reasonable to believe in God than it is to be an atheist. Theism offers a more adequate explanation than atheism does for the following aspects of reality. Let me say this. 
Atheists can deny any one of these aspects, and I think that these aspects are more evident, more obvious than their atheism is. So if they deny one of these aspects, you know, if they deny absolute moral laws, I say, well then why would I want to take on your worldview, accept your worldview, when you can't even call rape universally evil? Okay? Um, so they can deny any one of these, or they can admit they're there, but then they have to say, yeah, but like the universe, they're just, just there. The universe had a beginning. Don't you think it needs a cause? No, it's just there. That's what Bertrand Russell said in the 1940s when he debated a Jesuit priest named, uh, named uh, Frederick Copleston, a great thinker. Um, but you have to say the same about if you admit absolute moral, absolute unchanging moral laws are there, well, then they're just there. It's just kind of the built-in furniture of the universe that somehow in this material universe these immaterial entities exist and we shouldn't even question about it. So atheism either ends up in explaining away of the evidence, rejecting these things, or a non-explanation and says they're just there. Okay? Uh, we talked about the beginning of the universe. More, it's more plausible, theism is more plausible than atheism there. The continued existence of the universe, I don't have time to go into that, but if the universe couldn't cause its own beginning, how could it sustain itself in existence? The design and order found in the universe. Uh, the possibility of human knowledge, human reason. That makes perfect sense if, if the Bible is true. If a rational God created us in his image so that through reason we could find out about an orderly universe that he created, then human reason makes sense. The possibility of human knowledge it just follows logically from theism. But if we evolve from primordial soup, where did we get consciousness? Where does thinking come from? I mean, and, you know, uh, I just, the last atheist I debated, I asked him, how much, how much does a thought weigh? And he told me, you could weigh it. I said, what are you telling me? Are you saying it's just a chemical reaction inside a brain? He said, yeah. And so then my response to this guy was, well, if that's the case, why are you so mad at Timothy McVeigh when he was just doing what a, a brain squirt made him do? Okay? And um, uh, now you, you, we laugh and think, well, that guy must have been an ignoramus that you debated. But he's been on the Oprah Winfrey show, not me. He's been on Phil Donahue, not me. He's been on Morton Downey Jr., not me. He's been on Hannity and Combs, not me. See, you don't have to be right to be popular. You just got to say the politically correct thing and you get the airtime, all the airtime you want. Um, okay, uh, possibility of human knowledge. The existence of universal, eternal, unchanging truths like the laws of mathematics or the laws of logic. Uh, the reality of universal, eternal, unchanging moral values, such as torturing innocent babies, is wrong. Okay? Uh, the meaning of life, purpose in life. If life has meaning, it has to have eternal meaning or there really is no meaning to life. A reason to be optimistic about the future, hope. The atheist uses evil to try to disprove evil and human suffering, to disprove God's existence. Well, number one, how do you define evil? And number two, what hope do we have that evil is going to be defeated? The universe dies, evil wins in the end. And so number nine, a guarantee that evil will ultimately be defeated. Other than the, the, the incarnation, death, resurrection, and return of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know of no other guarantee that evil will someday be defeated. You want, to, you want to know what God thinks about evil and human suffering? 
He hates it so much he sent his son to die a horrible death on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And so we have a God who, who feels our pain. We've got a president who claims he feels our pain. We've got a God who does feel our pain because he went to the cross for us. Uh, feelings of guilt. Freud tried to explain them away in all kinds of weird, sexually perverted ways. Um, no, guilt is real. We feel guilt because we know that we have wronged. And let me say, people are more important than things. So we have sinned against the person. Even when we sin alone in the closet, we've sinned against the person. And feelings of guilt, fear of death. We don't fear dying because we might die real fast. We fear what comes after death. Uh, respect for human life. How can an atheist fight for human rights? In a godless universe, there are no rights. Okay? And, uh, and then I said earlier, uh, free will also. Mere molecules in motion combined with time and chance cannot explain any of these factors. And so therefore... Uh, the existence of the God of the Bible is more reasonable uh, than uh, atheism. Uh, God bless you. That's all we have time for. Uh, thanks for your patience.